Hello, you guys. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every Wednesday on all podcast platforms as well as YouTube and you are not going to want to miss it. Now, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are covering a type of case that we don't typically do. I think we've only covered a handful of these types of cases, and today we are talking about a murder for hire case and how a woman named Cynthia Guy tried to put out a hit on her husband of nine years. This is a whirlwind of a case. Let's jump right on into it. I'm very interested to see what you guys have to say about it. So let's get started. So to understand this case, we need to understand who Cynthia Guy is, as well as who her husband, Terry Thomas, is. The two of them met on an online dating website in 2003, and something that the two of them had in common was the fact that both Cynthia and Terry had recently gone through a divorce. At the time that they met, Cynthia was still in the process of going through her divorce, while Terry's had recently been finalized. After about a week of speaking online, the two of them finally decided to meet and they clicked pretty instantaneously. So instantaneously that they actually ended up getting married just seven months after they had met. Now, both Cynthia and Terry both had children from their previous marriages. So you now had five people living under one roof. That is Cynthia, Terry, and their three children from their previous marriages. So it really was quite the blended family, but they made it work. And everyone, for the most part, got along great. So now you had five people living under the same roof in Casper, Wyoming. You had Cynthia, Terry, and their combined three children from the previous marriages, and things seemed to be going pretty well for everyone. The kids were getting along. Cynthia and Terry were getting along. Something that they really had in common was how spontaneous and adventurous they were. They loved traveling, just picking up and going on road trips or vacations with their family. It was something that they really loved to do was to create those memories together. Something else that really drew Terry to Cynthia was how compassionate she was. Cynthia was actually working as a therapist at the Central Wyoming Counseling Center, and she specifically saw clients who struggled with addiction and who were court-mandated to see a counselor. And Cynthia had a fantastic reputation with her clients. They really relied on her, and a lot of times they really idolized her. The clients that she had were more so, again, the court-mandated cases for whatever that may be. For some people, it was to get their kids back. For some people, it was just a part of their sentencing. It was just whatever the case was, she was seeing a lot of different types of individuals that were all women trying to get their life on track again. And her clients were really inspired by her. Again, she had an excellent reputation with them. And Terry, on the other hand, worked as a very successful businessman. 
So as I mentioned earlier, once Cynthia and Terry got married, they moved into a house in Casper, Wyoming, and everything seemed smooth sailing. But obviously, if that was the case, we wouldn't be here talking about that today. So this marriage really started to unravel at around the four-year mark is when, according to Terry, things started to go downhill. Terry said that around this time is when he noticed a drastic change in Cynthia's personality. He even called it a jackal and hide personality and that her personality would switch at the flip of a dime. Because of this, he said that Cynthia became very aggressive. They were constantly screaming at each other. There were yelling matches. There were a lot of arguments. She would break things throughout the house. He claimed that one time she threw the Christmas tree down onto the ground and smashed all of the ornaments throughout the home. So there was definitely some things that were going on that, according to Terry, were not suitable for him, and he really began to question the state of his marriage. It was also around this time where he got a job offer. Terry received a new job offer that would require him to relocate to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Now, Cheyenne is located about two and a half hours away from Casper, and because Terry did not want to make that commute back and forth every day, he decided what he was going to do was purchase a home in Cheyenne that he would live in. This home would be for just him And his thought process for this was that being away from Cynthia and kind of stepping away from the home for a little bit would give them both the time that they needed to figure their marriage out and to get situated, see if this was something that was worth fixing. So Terry's whole mindset was, let's see if distance makes the heart grow fonder. However, it really seemed to backfire on him. This really did not do anything positive for their marriage. It only became more and more volatile over time. So it really did seem to have the opposite effect. According to Terry, he said the screaming matches continued. It was a nightly battle. Even though he wasn't in the home anymore, their marriage and their relationship with each other was still very, very toxic. And Terry even recalls one point in the last two years of his marriage where Cynthia said a very alarming statement to him. According to Terry, Cynthia told him, quote, I'm going to kill you or have you killed? Terry said, everyone at some point gets angry. A lot of people spurt out, I'm going to kill you, but 99.9% don't mean it. It's just something said out of anger that most people in no way intend to follow through with, but she said, I'm going to kill you or have you killed, and it struck me a little differently. Do you ever fantasize about who you'd be if you lived somewhere different? Maybe you'd surf if you lived by the beach. Or maybe if you lived in the city, you would live above a coffee shop and finally be able to write that novel you've always dreamed of. Or if you had a dishwasher, maybe you'd actually be able to start cooking and make a proper dinner at home. With over 1 million available units for rent on Apartments.com, the you abilities are endless. Apartments.com lets you narrow down exactly what you want and when you want it. And with their instant alert, you'll never miss out on seeing what could be your new perfect place. Apartments.com has helped millions of renters find their perfect place to live, whether that's an apartment, a townhome, or even a house. And they can help you find exactly what it is that you're looking for. Visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. 
Now, according to Terry, he said that once he moved to Cheyenne and really got settled, it was clear that his marriage was headed for divorce, and Terry officially ended up filing for that divorce in 2012. Now, according to friends of Cynthia, they claimed that when Cynthia got the news of the divorce, she really started to spiral a little bit. She definitely was in a state of denial, didn't think that the divorce was actually going to happen, but did say that she had a lot of concerns about the finance aspect of the divorce. Essentially, Cynthia felt like Terry was going to rip everything away from her and her children. Cynthia and her kids lived in a very nice house. They had everything that they possibly wanted. They definitely had the finer things in life. And Cynthia got very accustomed to a certain lifestyle because Terry was accommodating that lifestyle. Like I said, he was a very successful businessman. And while Cynthia was also working and had her job as the counselor, she was still in the early stages of her career and wasn't maintaining enough money to support the lifestyle that Terry had given her. To give you some context, the house that Terry and Cynthia were living in before Terry moved out to go to Cheyenne, so the Casper home, that Casper home was 18,000 square feet. So it was a very, very large house, and that house was in Terry's name. Cynthia's friends said that she wasn't really able to accept the fact that they were getting a divorce. Like I mentioned, she was just in a little bit of denial. And so while she was raising these concerns about the finances, she simultaneously was not accepting the fact that this divorce was going to be finalized. She felt like this was just something that the two of them were going to get over. However, Terry had his own set of concerns when it came to the divorce. He truly felt like Cynthia was going to be so vengeful and so resentful that she was going to attempt to do whatever she could to destroy him financially. He truly thought that she was going to go after him for all of his money, but also in any other way that she could. Terry said himself that he felt like she was going to do whatever it took to hurt him. So like I mentioned earlier, Terry did file for the divorce in 2012. However, it did not become finalized until 2014. Terry and Cynthia ended up going to court to decide where the assets were going to go. At the end of the hearing, it was decided that the Casper, Wyoming house where Cynthia and her kids were living was going to be sold and the proceeds were going to be split evenly between Terry and Cynthia. Now, because this was the home that Cynthia and her kids were living in, Cynthia was allowed to live there for several months while the house was on the market. However, obviously, once it was sold, Cynthia and her kids were required to move out. Terry was awarded the house he bought in Cheyenne, which he purchased for $744,000, but he was also required to pay Cynthia $10,000 for her interest in that property. Cynthia and Terry also had two rental homes in Casper that were awarded to Terry because he had owned those properties prior to him and Cynthia getting married. Terry was also required to pay Cynthia $11,234 for her interest in one of their bank accounts. 
And along with her own retirement accounts, Cynthia was also granted 40% of Terry's retirement, which was $17,728. Terry was also required to pay $20,000 of Cynthia's student loans. When it was all said and done, Terry was awarded the majority of their real estate assets and Cynthia received their retirement assets. Now, Cynthia did not go down without a fight when it came to this. She tried to state that she should receive more more of the assets because she accused Terry of infidelity during their marriage, even though there was no proof to hold that. And the divorce was finalized in May of 2014. And according to Terry, he said that after the divorce was finalized, he really assumed that everything was going to be over. Once all of the assets were split, once everyone knew who was getting what, he truthfully thought that they were going to be able to put this all behind them and each move forward in their individual lives. Now, Terry did have a conversation with his lawyer who actually warned him by saying to just be a little cautious. His lawyer told him that the six months after a divorce are the most dangerous times for the divorced couple because that is when the highest risk of violence is prominent. However, according to Terry, he said that he just brushed it off. Again, he truthfully thought that him and Cynthia were going to be able to put this behind them. But again, if that was the case, we would not be here today. So this all leads us to May 14th of 2014, shortly after the two of them finalized their divorce. And on May 14th, 2014, Cynthia was having a meeting with one of her usual patients. Now, during this meeting, Cynthia had asked this patient if she had any connections to the quote-unquote Mexican mafia. Cynthia said that she needed some help in finding someone that would kill Terry. And not only that, not only did Cynthia ask this patient for a hitman, essentially, she threatened this patient by saying that if she did not help Cynthia, then Cynthia was going to get this patient sent back to prison. Like I mentioned earlier, Cynthia's clientele consisted of patients who were going through a court-mandated process a lot of the time, and that was the case for this particular patient, which, by the way, the name of this patient has never been made public, so I'm just going to be referring to her as the patient. However, this patient was in the process of trying to get her kids back from CPS. She was trying to get her life back on track, and now she has Cynthia, her counselor, the person who she's supposed to be able to confide in and lean on and look for guidance and support, is now looking at her saying, if you don't help me kill my husband, or if you don't find someone who will, I'm sending you back to prison and you will never see your kids again. Now, naturally, this patient became very nervous about Cynthia's threats, so she decided to lie while she was in her session with Cynthia, and she told Cynthia that she may have connections through her cousin, who could possibly be able to help her in murdering Terry. All of this was a lie. This patient did not have any cousin with any connections, but again, she felt nervous. She was scared for her future, so she told Cynthia this lie. After this patient had left Cynthia's office that day, she went straight to the Central Wyoming Counseling Center, 
and told the administration about what Cynthia had told her. Once the administration had heard about what was going on, the administration then contacted the FBI. Now, when the FBI got involved, they really didn't know what they were dealing with at first because the thought of a counselor seeking out a patient's help in the murder of her ex-husband seemed unreal to them. It did not seem plausible. It did not seem possible. It just seemed like such a far reach that they almost didn't believe it at first. However, they needed evidence either way to prove whether this was a real threat or not. So the FBI decided that they were going to curate a plan. This plan was that they were going to have the patient go back in to another scheduled session with Cynthia. But what Cynthia wouldn't know is that this patient was going to be wired this time. The FBI also decided that they were going to come up with kind of like a backstory for the patient to be able to go into to talk with Cynthia about and really play up this idea that the patient had a cousin that could potentially help Cynthia carry out and execute this plan. So after the FBI spoke with the patient and they agreed on a plan, the patient went back in for a scheduled session with Cynthia on May 18th, 2014. Now, what Cynthia did not know at this point is that FBI was actually hiding in the counseling center while the session was happening. There were two detectives that were actually hiding in the utility closet. That way they wouldn't be seen or detected by Cynthia. There were also undercover officers that were surrounding the outside of the building just in case anything went south. Again, the police didn't know if this was a real threat or not. However, they did move forward with the belief that this was a real threat and that anything could happen and that they needed to be prepared. Now, when the patient got into the room with Cynthia, her and Cynthia began discussing normal and typical things that didn't raise any suspicion, just like any normal, typical session would go. However, the conversation soon switched to what Cynthia really wanted to talk about. Cynthia and her patient began talking about the murder for hire plot, and that is when Cynthia pulled out a very large folder. Inside of this folder was everything you needed to know about Terry Thomas. It was what his day looked like, where he went to work, where he liked to go for his lunch. Any and every possible piece of information about Terry Thomas was inside of this folder. Even the possibility of making this murder for hire appear to be a suicide. I can see how you'd want them all dead. I can all honestly. That's a lot of bull****. You were saying that one day, but it was something like a trying to make it kind of look like suicide-ish. Suicide be perfect. They're going to be watching me. Right. And I'm going to know that I have a solid alibi. Especially this week. I will either be here or at Macy's. So now after police are listening to this entire conversation, they finally understand and come to the realization that this threat is very much real. And while they could have arrested Cynthia right then and there, just based off of probable cause, they wanted to really strengthen their case as much as they could. So they decided to take this one step further. The police ended up bringing in an undercover officer who was going to pretend to be a hitman in this operation. The plan was for the undercover officer to meet up with Cynthia to go over the plan on how to murder Terry. 
the FBI had given this undercover officer the name Frankie. So he was going by cousin Frankie. That was the name. And that is what I'm going to be referring to him as throughout the rest of this episode. So the FBI tells the patient to tell Cynthia that she has a cousin named Frankie who very much does this regularly that could help Cynthia get rid of Terry. And once Cynthia hears that the patient does have a cousin named Frankie who could help her with the execution of her ex-husband, she is all ears. And during that same session is when the patient was able to get a recorded phone call with cousin Frankie to really help Cynthia believe that this was real. That was the point of this phone call. And so I'm going to play that clip for you right here. Hey, Frankie. Hey, this is your cousin. The patient got right into the questions. A friend of mine kind of needs something taken care of. I just need you to, like, go check out this house and who's in it and take care of the owner. On the rest of this phone call, Cynthia and Frankie agreed that Cynthia would pay him $4,000 to kill Terry. She agreed that she would give him $2,000 when they first met up, and then the remaining $2,000 she would give him after she murdered Terry. They also agreed that they were going to meet up and have a physical in-person meeting. That way they could go over all the details and anything else that Cynthia wanted to tell Frankie, and they agreed that they were going to be meeting in Glendo two days later. Now, you may be wondering if Terry at this point had any idea about what was going on, and it wasn't until this point after May 18th that the police finally decided that they needed to inform Terry about what was happening. The reason they claimed that they didn't tell him before was because they didn't know how he was going to react. They wanted to get their case strong enough that way they could convict Cynthia. However, they weren't sure if they informed Terry on what was going on, if he would reach out to her individually and explain what she was trying to do and risk a potentially violent situation, they decided to wait to tell Terry. It was after the second meeting with the patient and Cynthia that police drove over to Terry's home in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Terry claimed that at the time he was at home walking through his house when he noticed a police officer standing at the front door. Terry claimed that when he saw the police officer, he immediately knew that more than likely it had to do with Cynthia. However, he assumed that it had to do with her accusing him of something. So you could only imagine his shock when he opened the door to find a police officer standing at his front porch telling him that his ex-wife, Cynthia Guy, had had put out a hit for his murder. The police officer told Terry to pack a small bag and that he needed to leave his house immediately and begin staying in hotels until all of this got situated. The reason that the police really pushed for Terry to start staying in different hotels and changing his location is because they weren't sure if Cynthia had spoken to more than one patient about her plan. They weren't sure if she was shopping around the idea to other patients because if she was going to tell one patient, what's to say she wasn't going to tell a different patient? And if she did tell another patient who didn't expose her, police thought it was very possible that there could be a very real hit out for Terry. So they wanted to keep him as safe as possible and that required him to be constantly moving his location. 
And you can really only imagine what Terry was feeling in that moment. This was someone that he had spent his life with, shared his life with, shared a home with, they were married, and now he learns that that same person is trying to hire someone to kill him. Terry said that he knew that Cynthia was aggressive and he knew that she had violent outbursts. However, he never thought that she would be the type of person to go to the extent of trying to hire a hit out on him. That is just another level. However, for Terry, this now overnight turned into his reality. So now fast forward two days after May 18th. Now we are at May 20th, 2014. And it was on this day that Frankie and Cynthia were set to meet at the Howard's gas station in Glendo, Wyoming at approximately 6.20 p.m. Now initially, Cynthia did not show up to this meeting. The undercover officer, Frankie, was at the gas station waiting for Cynthia. However, she did not show up. And police thought it was very possible that maybe she changed her mind. Maybe she decided not to come anymore and decided against her original plan. However, just to be sure, Frankie decided to give Cynthia a phone call. And when he did, she told him that she was in fact on her way, just running late, and she showed up about 30 minutes later at 6.47 p.m. Now, when Cynthia arrived at the gas station, what she did not know is that all of the other people that were at the gas station were undercover officers. Whether that was other people that were pumping gas, people that were in the convenience store, people that were just outside in their cars that were dressed as truck drivers and different things like that. Everyone else was an undercover officer. However, Cynthia was very paranoid. So when she arrived at the gas station, she actually motioned for Frankie to follow her car and she ended up parking in a nearby empty lot. Once she parked in the empty lot, she got out of her car and went into Frankie's vehicle. When Cynthia got into the car with Frankie, she did not go empty-handed. She brought that giant folder of all of Terry's information, including what his day-to-day activities looked like, what his house looked like. Frankie actually referred to this as Cynthia coming in with a blueprint on how to murder her ex-husband. And you might be sitting here asking yourself, why is Cynthia doing this. The motive is something we haven't really gone too much in depth about. However, it is a very big question. Why would Cynthia go through all of this trouble, all of this mess to put a hit out on her ex-husband? Why was she so vengeful? Why was she so resentful? And that question was what Terry was asking himself as well. Once Terry heard that Cynthia put a hit out against him, he truly believed it was for her own financial gain. I do think it should be stated that Terry did have a life insurance policy out for himself. However, Cynthia had no part in that once the divorce was finalized. So it's not like Cynthia would have killed him and gotten all of his life insurance money. This was something completely different. Cynthia just simply wanted this man dead. And again, Terry truthfully believed that this was just more of a revenge act, that if she couldn't have what he had, then she didn't want him to have it either. And the only way for him to not have it was for him to be dead. And this was actually confirmed in Cynthia's meeting with Frankie when she accused Terry of leaving her and her children homeless after the divorce was finalized and after he kept the real estate assets. 
It's an 18,000 square foot home that the mother took me from me and my kids. He left me homeless and he owned all four homes. It was very clear in this initial meeting that Cynthia was very, very resentful and it was strictly for financial purposes. And again, it wasn't like if she killed Terry, she was going to receive the financial assets that he had. She just simply didn't want him to have them. She even made a comment in her meeting with Frankie telling him that she is a mother hen and if you mess with her children, you mess with her. Now, Frankie gave Cynthia plenty of times to opt out of this operation. However, Cynthia was very headstrong. She knew that she wanted this done and Frankie told Cynthia that he was going to murder Terry that night. When Cynthia heard it was going to be so soon, she could tell she did have a little bit of apprehension, however, not enough to ever stop it. Frankie and Cynthia came up with a little bit of a code language. Cynthia said that she didn't want to have any link to Frankie or there to be any trail leading back to him. However, she did say that she wanted to know when the job was done. Because of that, she said that she wanted Frankie to text him saying, I'm at the gym. This was going to be the code word. I'm at the gym was going to be the code so that Cynthia would know that Terry had been killed. After all was said and done and Cynthia and Frankie finalized all of the details and Frankie received the $2,000 that Cynthia initially promised, Frankie and Cynthia went their separate ways. Of course, Cynthia thinking that Frankie was a real hitman and that he was about to go murder her ex-husband. After the meeting was over, Cynthia got back into her car and headed back to Casper, Wyoming. But what she didn't know is that at this point, the police were following right behind her. In the early morning hours of May 21st at around 4 a.m., Frankie sent Cynthia a text saying, quote, I went to the gym and the workout was really easy, end quote. Again, this was Frankie giving Cynthia the confirmation that Terry had been killed. However, what Cynthia didn't know is that Frankie was not a real hitman. There was never a real hit and she had been tracked the whole time. At this point, it was time for police to finally arrest Cynthia. They arrived at her home in the very early morning hours on May 21st and told her her ex-husband Terry was dead. According to police, when they broke the news, Cynthia covered her face and started crying. She had her children all around her. However, the cops say they never saw any real tears. Police then asked Cynthia to come down to the police station with them and to fill out some paperwork and just answer some basic questions about Terry. And again, because Cynthia was trying to play the role of the distraught woman who was grieving her ex-husband's death, she agreed to go down to the station with them. The police even offered to give Cynthia a ride to the police station because they claimed that she was a woman in distress who had just found out that her ex-husband had been murdered and she was in no condition to be driving. So she agreed to take the ride and went down to the police station. Once Cynthia got to the police station, she was placed into an interrogation room and she quickly realized that this was not just filling out basic paperwork or being asked some questions about Terry's history. It was very clear that she was caught. You didn't 
FBI here just because your husband just happened to be killed on a regular homicide? I don't know what was going on. I thought I came down to give social history on my ex-husband. Right, and that, that has changed a little bit. At that point, police had decided that they were going to arrest Cynthia for solicitation to commit first-degree murder. And it was right after that that police told Cynthia that Terry was actually not dead. When Cynthia heard that Terry was not dead, her response was simply, okay. That's all she had to say, okay. Now, you would think if you had been told that your ex-husband was murdered and dead and then quickly told about an hour later that it was all a misunderstanding and that he was alive, you would have some sort of a reaction, more of a reaction than just okay. However, obviously, because we know that Cynthia has been involved from the very beginning and knew everything that was going on, it's not too much of a surprise to know that her reaction was simply okay. From the very beginning, Cynthia claimed that she had no idea about the murder plot and this was all one big misunderstanding. However, she refused to speak with the police about anything. Once Cynthia got a public defender and was arrested, she decided to make a plea deal. Instead of going through a trial for solicitation of first-degree murder, Cynthia made a deal of solicitation to commit aggravated kidnapping. This gave her a 20 to 25 year sentence in prison, but this also means that Cynthia will be eligible for parole in 2028, so just in five short years. So that, you guys, is the case of Cynthia Guy and Terry Thomas. Luckily, Terry has been able to continue to go on and live his life and doesn't have to worry about Cynthia. However, again, she is eligible for parole in 2028. So we will see what happens then. However, I'm very interested to hear what you guys think about this case. Do you think the sentencing was too harsh? Do you think that the sentencing was too little? Do you think that she should have gotten the solicitation to commit murder? What are your thoughts on the case as a whole? Let me know in the comments below. But with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss another episode. Again, we post weekly on the podcast on Wednesdays and you're never going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys. Bye.